0: Saturday down south. Joined by Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. On this episode, we will break down Florida's big win over number two Tennessee. 67-54 in Gainesville last night. The House of Horrors was back. Zach Tech was rocking. It was fantastic. Um, Not going to debate court storming. Don't really need to have that debate. But we will break down the big dub. We'll also preview Florida's trip to Rupp Arena Saturday night. The Gators take on their rival, the Wildcats. At Rupp, eight thirty PM, ESPN, or whenever the Carolina Duke game ends. So, uh, big opportunity for Florida to get another quad one win. But we're going to break down this one, the signature win of the Golden Era, and Florida's first win as a program over a team ranked uh, number one in the Ken Palm Efficiency Ranking. So, pretty special stuff. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south, joined on this episode by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric will be with me momentarily as he wraps up post-game coverage. Uh, we're going to record tonight, Wednesday night, after a huge win for Florida. Uh, it's been a while since we had a big happy podcast. Um, you know, I actually got a couple texts from some good friends who are like, hey man, you guys really deserve this type of podcast and (laughs) that's always nice. What I will say is this team deserves um, to celebrate this kind of win because of the defense that they have committed to playing really since they got back from Portland. And, and, you know, we did a whole show after the PK 85 Phil Knight legacy tournament where we talked about how the Gators were just not, good defensively um they couldn't stop people they got absolutely eviscerated uh by flex cuts and pin downs in the west virginia game and it was just it was bad i mean you know eric and i were wondering you know what what is there to be fixed uh defensively how can this team get a single stop and now uh they go out and hold a team that had been really hot offensively um Shot 60% in their win over Texas this weekend to 27.9% from the field. So I am joined by Eric Fawcett, uh, who undoubtedly will be um, as thrilled as I am to do a happy podcast. The Gators beat number two Tennessee tonight, uh, pretty convincingly, um, as it turns out
1: yeah this is uh this is a bit of a rare one we don't often podcast right after games um though uh, patreon um subscribers will have already heard from neil who does his uh stuff either neil or myself does it after i'll say i'll say most games don't want to oversell in case we have to miss one here (laughs) there but most games will have the thoughts up for the patreon subscribers right after games but we don't actually generally podcast right after after games um some of that is um hey it's uh it's Some of it is, of course, we have other work to do. You know, we've got to write about the game after and do other stuff. And uh, some of it is also we like to, uh, you know, take some time to look at stats, maybe watch the game again, do stuff like that. But there is certainly a time for podcasts such as this, where the Gators get massive wins. And uh, we just wanted to get something to all you, our beloved listeners, as as quickly as as possible. So uh, it is fun, Neil, because we only really do these after, you know, really big wins or... I don't know if we've done it after really bad losses, but I'll say we we, we probably have. So, uh, but I feel like the ones I remember more when the Gators get big wins. So it is nice to be podcasting with you late at
0: night after a big Gators win. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Um, I'm happy to to be on. I'm happy to do a show like this. Like Eric said, we don't do this very often, so um, it you know, but but I definitely was getting DMs and stuff, and and I'm headed out of town, so you guys get. Uh, a much needed break for me this weekend. Uh, and uh, Eric, Faw- Eric Fawcett takes the reins uh, post the Rupp arena trip. We'll get into Rup a little bit. Um, let's talk about the defense. It just starts there. And to me, one thing that was amazing was Florida, not just their ability to kind of contain flex cuts, but also the fact that they just kind of handled Tennessee's physicality. They handled the bully ball. Uh, in a way that not a lot of teams can do against Tennessee. I thought that, and I don't know how intentional
1: this was or if it just happened this way, but like, I think there is great psychological warfare to be played by putting smaller players on opposing bigger players and kind of having other teams be like, oh, I guess this is a mismatch. I I, I guess we should exploit this. Uh, Because for the Gators to start, again, I'll say small, and I don't know how much of that is maybe fudge is on a minutes restriction um, or whether it is just like, Oh, it's trying to get the best five players on the floor right now, which probably consists of Kugel over, um, over fudge. But uh, I, I do think that Tennessee got sucked into a little bit of like, Oh, I guess we have a mismatch because there's some times where uh, you know, bigger players like Kamwaze was, was on, you know, getting guarded by Will Richard and they like felt like they had to throw it into him. And it's like, while there's a big physical mismatch, Kamua, not an outstanding offensive player. Same thing with Plavchic, which uh, he ended up playing less minutes than I expected, which I also think was a credit to Florida, kind of like making it that he was not very effective when he's out there. But um, he was out there for only a couple minutes and took three shots while he was out there because I think that uh, there was a little bit of a feel from Tennessee at times. I was like, oh, I guess we better take advantage of this mismatch and you throw it into a guy who's clearly not one of their best offensive options, um, to go take a shot that wasn't super efficient. So, um, I thought that the Gators had great success with that. And then I think, um, just a lot of really good, um, I was going to say individual performances, but it's not individual performances. Cause again, everyone was so good in the gaps, but I think you just look at that, that starting, um, perimeter group for, for Tennessee where Zakai Ziegler was not efficient, um, six for 19 Santiago Vescovi not efficient two for 12 Josiah Jordan James two for 11 not efficient and I just think like a lot of that had to do with um, both really good individual defensive possessions by a number of guys but also again as we keep talking like the Gator shift to being a lot more in the gaps and, and 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 plugging up dribble drive has been has been really really good and uh, while Zakai Ziegler is someone who is very skilled at getting downhill. It's always one of those things with like Vescovy where he's not a great athlete. He doesn't have an electric dribble. Um, I still think he's a really good player. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, he does it with like savvy and shooting and man, he did not look very good against the Gators when the Gators made him drive the basketball and converged on him. He had a tough night. So, uh, I think the Gators jumped to seventh defensively. Um, in, in Ken Palm after this one. Um, I haven't looked to see if if, if Torvik is updated because I'd be really interested to see, especially where that last games would, would rank after this one. Um, but to again um this is actually kind of a funny one because i said that i liked tennessee's offense a little more than consensus on the last podcast certainly didn't look very good against the gators but i'm going to stick by it i think i like a lot of the stuff that tennessee runs didn't matter gators were awesome they're playing outstanding defensively and uh on a game like this one they they really did win it with their defense uh
0: they did and i you know again i i said before you hopped on i that's probably what I'm most happy about is that they continued, they committed to play defense and they got rewarded for it tonight because it is hard sometimes when your offense is scuffling the way Florida's has to keep doing that night in and night out, like mentally. um, That's a challenge and, and the Gators get rewarded for it tonight and see the fruits of their labor. Uh, Another thing that I thought we should probably get to early in the show is Kyle Lofton. And we can include Myron Jones in that conversation if we want the 10 game, uh ban might need to be extended uh indefinitely to the end of the regular season. We'll discuss that. Those those conversations are occurring behind closed doors here at Florida Basketball Hour, y'all. Um, but man, like it's hard to look just far better than Zakai Ziegler, but Zakai Ziegler had not seen much like Kyle Lofton before tonight. Um, I mean, that was his best game as a gator, I thought. And it's really not even terribly close. He was just marvelous defensively, and then uh you know people play the game at Kyle Lofton's pace and like against a great defensive team when he's controlling tempo the way he did tonight um you know florida's offense at least looked functional
1: yeah i mean the the kind of slow pace of the game um made it so that well This is also one thing that the Gators, of course, have not had the benefit of, but like, oh, that sweet, sweet efficiency that comes with being up by a couple of possessions with a couple of minutes left and getting to like get to the free throw line um, in intentional fouling situations. So the Gators got to kind of pump up the efficiency a little bit, which is uh, kind of one of those those taxes that uh well not taxes i guess because it's not like what you're paying it's one of those like you know as the as the losing team when you're behind it's like the tax you pay for being behind because you got a foul and then your defensive efficiencies hurt but if you're ahead you get the flip side of that where if you're ahead you get that little offensive efficiency boost at the end of the game by getting you know three or four possessions again to go shoot two free throws which is of course going to be pretty efficient so the gators did get above a point per possession um And again, you, you mentioned Lofton. I think you said a lot about it. I think again, every time he hits a three kind of just feels like gravy. (laughs) Like, I don't know if that's disrespectful to say, but every time that one of his threes goes in, it feels like a little bit of found money. And uh, he obviously goes two for three, which feels like a whole lot of found money or gravy, whichever analogy you'd like. Um, But that feels really good. But, um, and, and I just tweeted this out just a couple minutes ago, again, Florida's offense, Um, I thought they made some positive changes. I don't know if we want to get into that. It might even skew a little bit negative talking about how it has been bad, but they do think they made a little bit more of positive changes, got into a little more just ram into high ball screen, which I preferred to the continuity ball screen. And then of course they got, there still seem to just be like inching towards a little bit more um, point series through Castleton. But I did tweet this out that I do feel like the Gators, um, while the offense was still overall, not excellent. The Gators did a really good job out of timeouts. And it's kind of funny because we talked on the last podcast about, uh, well, one of the things that just came up talking about um, the offense was like, Oh, it's, it seems like it's, it's coach golden um, drawing out, uh, uh, drawing up after timeout plays. Now get this Lee Humphrey, not on the radio broadcast tonight. So no one was there to talk about what that was being drawn up in after timeout situations, which is too bad because if any time, this would have been excellent because the Gators got some really good looks. Um, after timeouts, um, they came out on the opening play of the game and ran a counter to their regular motion, got a backdoor cut layup, um, had a big one to call on Castleton that looked a little bit like the almost the Keontae Johnson, if people remember where uh, Kansas State won a game earlier by um, this counter where uh, Keontae Johnson was like, um, post it kind of in the high post trying to get the ball and he was kind of getting a three-quarter front so it was actually a counter for him to spin the other direction or real ones will remember uh chris bosh um with uh, the heat the lebron james dwayne wade heat running similar plays um but there's one of those for castleton so while uh, i i do think that the gators got some key buckets out of timeouts, and uh you know we've been pretty critical about the offensive coaching this year um but hey, they were able to manufacture some big buckets out of timeouts and I will I will give that a big check mark to, uh, to offensive coaching on this one.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I was gonna talk about what I felt like was one of two key stretches in the game and it was at 55 to 49. So Kai Ziegler had just made a big three and Riley Kugel um, actually had a nice drive and execute a uh, kick pass to the corner and said he threw it right into Tennessee's chest and it somehow went off his leg. And I'm sure that 95% of Gator Nation was thinking, oh, here we go. Um, And Rick Barnes did what I would have done. Maybe not what Eric Fawcett would have done, but he went right back to Ziegler after the timeout and Ziegler took a quick three and missed. Um, And then Florida, I thought, ran just an absolutely terrific action that I'm sure they discussed during the under four media timeout where um, instead of just continuity ball screen, they just had Colin Castleton tweak it just a little bit, where he kind of slowly rolled off the ball screen, and then they had Will Richard on a cut where Lofton hit Richard, and then as Colin was rolling, Richard hit Colin for a layup and an and one. And uh, the Gators went 5-0 and in that little segment right there to get it to 60-49, and I just thought at that point, you know, the Gators had things in hand and that was good offensive coaching in my view.
1: Yeah. That's definitely the moment where it felt like, yeah, the Gators kind of had this. And again, it's because they're, this is the show we've been waiting for because we've wanted to be able to cheer on this incredible defense, but it got to that point where when the Gators go up by a couple of possessions like that, there's just not very much of you that thought, wow, like Tennessee is going to have an answer for this offensively to come back and, you know, score on the Gators a couple of times. So this is like that time where it's, it's really fun to, uh, Really fun to kind of have this team that's that's so stout defensively because it's kind of fun to be up by five or six or seven points and be like, oh yeah, it feels like the Gators are going to be able to ice this away. It's been a long time since since we felt that. um So um I did. That was one of the ones I I, I tweeted, and uh, it was also interesting because again, that was a little bit of this like ram uh, ball screen that flipped into this like euro ball screen, and before that, they had scored on that nice one where um they had the ram screen and just um popped castleton into space then he had that spin move on yeah if that was Plovchich or um, it was it was he did (laughs) I obviously he wasn't out there for that many minutes i forgot if that was him but you know he was doing his thing and getting his trolls off but um I, i i that was so they scored on that one and then it's they pop him to the same space but then like you said gave it to richard got that empty side ball screen which he um, had a lot of space to get to hit Castleton and kind of on the short run they score. So I always, that's something I love to see too to, to see two counters of the same play kind of back to back. Like that's awesome. That's good. Offensive coaching. You love to see that. We've been looking for positive signs. And while, you know, I, I don't know. I don't like, I'm guessing the Gators, well, the Gators, I didn't, I don't remember what they were in Ken Palm offense before this guessing they'll go up a few spots because Tennessee is so good defensively and the Gators were at a point per possession just over. Um, but you know, I don't think their offensive outlook has completely changed, um, but seeing them scoring after timeout plays, that's, um, that's the, that, that is a positive step. Um, and we're just for, for a couple of guys like us on a podcast, we're looking for positive (laughs) stuff. That is a, that is a, that is a positive sign. I will absolutely take.
0: So Eric question, does this game sort of validate the thought that Florida should continue to just lean into this defense a little bit lower possession game? a little bit more deliberate of tempo, lots of stops, man. And not only lots of stops, but, like, think about this. And this is a testament to what Eric and I have been waiting to do for several podcasts. Like, Tennessee did what it does in the sense that they crashed the offensive glass and got 18 offensive rebounds. But Florida was good enough to prevent putbacks, so they didn't get eaten alive by putbacks, and then they stopped these second possessions consistently.
1: Well, I mean again, I was someone who was of course I wanted Florida to slow things down in previous games and uh uh even you know before before they've kind of totally committed to this defensive identity. And I do think that playing a team like this was uh it totally made sense. If I refresh Ken Palm, it will tell me. Um it was a sixty-five possession game. Yes, after seventy-three and seventy-three um against South yeah. Carolina and Kansas State. They're down to sixty-five. Um, yeah, that's uh I I I i like i maybe this is again just some some confirmation bias because i wanted it to happen and the gators did get a win where they happened to go lower possession but um yeah i i I think it's it's one of those situations where um especially now that you're seeing that the gators aren't really crashing the offensive glass they're they're preferring to just um get back in transition defense could probably flip it a little bit to the other side and just say like yeah instead of you know even trying to push a little bit more let's just make sure we can secure the defensive glass and uh yeah see if we keep us to like a 61 to 65 possession game and see if we can get enough big Colin Castleton buckets to to go ahead um again as I look forward to uh you know these games with with Kentucky and Alabama um yeah I I think I'd be a little bit on the side of of lower possession but um for I'd be interested for for Golden, who has had teams that have played a little bit more up tempo and shot a lot of threes and kind of played played that kind of math game a little bit. Um, this is a team that doesn't shoot a lot of threes, and I personally think it would be best to play slower. Um, but uh, we'll see how that kind of uh, naturally develops because I think um, whatever happens over these next two games, I mean, that's gonna tell you a lot because it's something I've always mentioned in this life of, this, of the podcast is like a team's identity is not what they do in buy games um, or against bad teams. It's what they do in the games that really, really matter. Well, this was the best team that the Gators have played this year um, or actually I'll ask you that after um, one of the best teams that the Gators have played this year. Um, and what did they do? They played slower and it was, you know, it was effective. I was going to ask you, who do you think is better? And again, this is a big sample size, but um, who do you think is better between Tennessee and Yukon? And
0: uh, well, then I think UConn was better. Now I'm not as certain. Um, you know, people have kind of figured out how to guard UConn. Uh, and I don't know if this game is necessarily like indicative that people have figured out how to guard Tennessee. Um, I still think Tennessee has good balance and runs good stuff. They just kind of ran into defensive buzzsaw tonight. I mean, they, they have five guys that average in double figures. Um, so they have good versatility, even though they don't necessarily have that, like, go-to bucket guy, which concerns me in March again. Um, it concerns me with Rick Barnes as well. Um, but, you know, they basically had two guys in double figures tonight, and then Santio Vescovi got to shoot six free throws because college basketball officiating is mostly about vibes, I guess. But, like, I don't know, man. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I kind of felt like UConn is a little bit better. Um, but you know, we haven't seen Alabama yet either, like at least on the floor with Florida. Uh, Yeah. Again,
1: I, I, and I'm not saying who do you think is the best team in the country? Which No, no. Right. Which which, again, like, I think UConn was close, but it was oh, just interested because I was about to say like, Oh, this is the best team that that the Gators have played. You could argue UConn. I'd be interested in what the listeners think. I think you could really make an argument for both. Um, of course, there's one team that very clearly has a better resume right now. So, uh, um you can't really argue that tennessee is yeah. you clearly know, doesn't have the losses that yukon's put up but uh yeah it's, it's uh it's interesting and again the man telling you you know who's i i think is confusing is um or the usage is confusing is like i think julian phillips is is really good and like i thought he had some some big moments offensively and then you know i was kind of like yeah oh, he's pretty quiet out there like how many minutes did he play like, you know, 13, 14. I saw you played 30 and I was like, what the, like, I don't know. It just seemed like he was out there doing cardio a little bit, but every time he was like called upon to score coming off one of those wide pin downs, he was deadly. So, uh, and of course, that was a player with some first round buzz coming out of coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, Still very well could be, this could be one of those examples where a guy is just like not suited for the college game, but NBA front offices who have like very little respect for these college coaches are like, yeah, this guy's going to underutilize and he'll be way better in the NBA. So I, I, maybe Julian Phillips ends up being one of their like guys. I doubt that'll be the case, but there's a guy who like showed immense flashes. But then I was also like surprised to be like, what, he played 30 minutes like that, that actually like surprised me. I I didn't notice him out there for a lot of it. And then I really noticed him out there when he made some incredible plays, but um, this would be an interesting team. I know there's going to be all kinds of people who see this outcome and, uh, it, like if I open Twitter right now and I search Tennessee, I am certain there'd be a whole lot of people that are like, "Oh man, can't wait to choose them to lose in the round of 32 in my bracket," <laughs> or like, "I'm gonna make so much money fading Tennessee." Like I know those those are coming. So, yeah. um, uh, which again, so that's actually gonna be really interesting for us. I like I, I well, I'll be interested to see what draw they get um, in in the NCAA tournament. But given the recent uh, lack of success that Tennessee has had, and you know, seeing how they were. Pretty, pretty bottled up by a Gators team, which is, you know, we're not quite sure quite yet how good they are, um, though. This is maybe a positive step. Um, yeah, there'll be some interesting questions for them come March.
0: No, it was interesting. I mean, you know, Florida, they're a one they're a one seed at Bracket Matrix. So um, also Florida's first win as a program against the number one team in Ken Palm. Uh The Gators were 0 and 10 prior to this in those uh games. So congrats to Todd Golden and, and the staff on that. That's uh some some nice history to make in a program with a pretty rich history like Florida. Uh and I think, you know, you saw flashes of how good Tennessee is. I mean look, the Gators are up 17 to 4 and Tennessee outscored Florida 40 to 21 over the next 20 minutes. Um and got their lead all the way up to six points before you know, the Gators rallied again. Um, you know, they got a couple of free throws from Colin Castleton, a couple from Kyle Lofton, and then uh, down four, you know, as the Kai Ziegler went under a screen and Myron Jones just buried an NBA three from the top of the arc. And all of a sudden it was a one-point game and the Rowdies were going nuts again. And that's kind of the moment where you felt like, Hey man, this Florida team's not going away tonight. Um, you know, and, and again, that was, super, what was super interesting about that was, uh, that every pass in that segment, that 7.4 to run came from, uh, Kyle Lofton who ended up being plus 26 tonight, (laughs) Eric.
1: Man, I, I, that's wild. I, I, I have another Ken Palm related, um, question for you. Well, it's not really a Ken Palm related question, but, um, I'll just uh, use Ken Palm as as a little bit of uh, uh, some some context. Um, I want you to rank these three teams um, in order of what you think was was the best defensively. So best to worst defense. So the twenty fourteen Final Four team was third in defense in Ken Palm. The Elite Eight team in uh, in twenty seventeen was fifth in Ken Palm. Um, sorry, in like defensive efficiency. So that's they were. 2014s were third in defensive efficiency, adjusted defensive efficiency. The 2017 Elite Eight team was fifth. And this current team, after completely frustrating Tennessee, is now seventh. So uh, that's that's just some context. But uh, do you see this as better than either of those two teams defensively? Or would this be the third
0: out of those three? So right now with this five that they're playing, like Riley Kugel was plus 13 tonight. And a lot of that was his defense because he wasn't like, he wasn't scoring. He wasn't hitting shots and he had some turnovers. Uh, I mean, a lot of tonight offensively for Riley was a freshman playing a great defense, Um, but he gets out there and he defends and he gets square and in a stance and stays in front of people. Um, And my point being that that, that group of five I think might be better than the Elite Eight team under Mike White. Now, when that team had Kavarius Hayes and John Igbunu healthy, probably not. I still think they're probably second behind. And then that I would rank the 2014 team first just because uh, when you have Scotty Wilbekin and Casey Prather and Patrick Young, I mean, good luck. <laughs> um, so, and that wasn't even trying to knock William Yeats' defense at all. I'm just saying that like, you know, the core three of those guys were spectacular, Um, you know, but certainly like Colin Castleton is every bit as good a defender as Johnny Boone was and probably better because he moves better. Um, And so, you know, I don't know. I mean, what, what's your thought on that? And then I would say Kyle Lofton, you know, is a comparable defensive guard uh, to some of the guys that, that Florida played with, like maybe more comparable to Scotty Wilbekin than like casey hill and chioza because those guys were so quick and they're a little bit different
1: yeah i I think that so i i will say the 2014 team i i think was was the best i just felt like they're how connected they were and in just a way that of course you're probably just not going to get from in this current age of you're not going to get guys that have played as as many years um together as that 2014 team um I'm also, of course, like one of the great questions I I have is like one of the things that was so good about that 2014 team was that one three one zone that just absolutely befuddled teams, suffocated them. Yeah, Um, it was so good. And like, I just don't know if that would have worked in 2023. But, man, it worked in 2014. So it's one of those things that's, that's also, like, I think it would be fair. Like, so it's just also one of those, you know, classic sports discussions of, like, well, do you look at it as a snapshot against their competition when they played? Or can you, like, you know, put it up against this? But um, anyways, I think with that 2017 team, that was, of course, even a little bit better on Ken Palm. Um, which, again, the, well, this is, I'll, I'll just finish my thought, I guess. Um, I felt like that team was just so, like, steady and consistent defensively. They were steady all season long. And that, that's one of those things that factors in. We're like, okay, the Gators right now are seventh in Kenpon defense. But of course we know they were not good at all before um, the start of you know December or whatever. Um, so uh, that's where that Bartorvik metric comes in. And this team could very well end up being top five. And I almost predict they will be just because of how they've played over the last couple months. months. Um, but I, I think that 2017 team was just so, was so steady. But I never really felt the pure like frustration that the Gators are currently imposing on teams for stretches. And I feel like that's what I got when I back in, in 20 in those 2014 teams. And honestly, part of that too, with the 2014 teams was like partially the 35 second shot clock. That was still a thing where it just made those possessions so long when, uh, when the Gators were just clamping down, but I, 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 so I, I, I might put this team second and, uh, which is just, it's just wild to say, this is another thought I was having. Yeah. If you would have told us that this was a team that was playing like a top three defensive team in the country or top seven, if you want to go season long, but we'll go with the Torvik number of over the last 10 games, uh, top three defense. <laughs> and I would We would have for sure thought one Niles Lane is playing and playing a lot of minutes. Yeah. Two that CJ Felder is probably playing and playing a lot of minutes right. and just the, the fact that that, and, and if we would have said that if, if I would have told you, or if you would have told me that, Oh, we're playing this super elite defense and Myron Jones is playing the wing for most of it. I, they, there's just, I would not believe you. Like I, yeah. I truly, I truly wouldn't. Um, and then you could go, you can you know, you could go farther. Oh, by the way, they're playing a six foot five guy at power forward because that's what they have been doing the last couple of games. You know, like there's just so many things that are just like inconceivable. And that's one thing that if we're like debating <sighs> Who's better between the 2017s and this team defensively? And you look at those athletes and the length they had at the 2017s versus this team. Like, yeah, it looks like there's a lot of better defensive players on the 2017 team, but like this current team is just getting it done in a way that's almost reminiscent of the 2014s. Um, well, again, I'll still say the 2014s are better, but that I just, I really do think this team is so special defensively. And it's unfortunate that the offense has been in a situation where it's taken us to this point to like really talk about it for like half an hour in a podcast, but it is great to give it its, its full acknowledgement.
0: Yeah, no, it really is uh fantastic, um, Eric. And so I have a question for you that, uh, I had written down for whenever we were going to do this podcast, I was kind of wondering, so. I want your take on this and, and the three games that I have, I've written down Eric are uh, Florida state uh, number 23, Florida state um, when the Gators beat them last year. And Colin Castleton's line was 15 uh, points, 16 rebounds and six blocks. Uh, then there's the Auburn game last year when they beat number two, Auburn uh, the Castleton line in that game. 19 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks, 2 steals, and then tonight. Um, and if you need his his line tonight, it was 20 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, and a block. Which of those games was the most impressive Colin Castleton game?
1: Um, I will say – I want to say – Auburn of course we're just getting into the the memory Walker Kessler. Kessler yeah <laughs> yeah and and I think that part of it was was Walker Kessler who I hold in a lot higher regard than these um with all due respect I'm not trying to disparage I, I don't think anyone would take these Tennessee yeah of course over so. Walker Kessler um so um I and again it was just kind of on the back of a you know us wondering a little bit about what he could do against kind of competition that was that well and i'll I'll go one one step further i also thought and again someone might disagree with me on this and that's fair i also thought that those armored guards are still better than these tennessee guards offensively and um castle had some moments um especially again let's remember that the scheme was a lot different and, and castleton had to get out there on the perimeter and hang with some of these guards for a couple dribbles um and and he still did pretty well um and and again maybe if someone is screaming at their Headphones that it's actually the Florida State game. I I I just don't remember. Like I remember Castleton was really good, but I just remember a lot of guys playing some some pretty good basketball and uh ultimately you know taking down that in a very fun game. And but and then of course the other thing we found out was that that Florida State team wasn't actually all all that good. So maybe that's somewhere in my head as as well. But yeah. I would say, but my gut reaction is is Auburn then this game tonight than that Florida state game, but I would be open to being wrong. No, I hear it,
0: man. I, I think that that's uh that's great stuff. And, and I, you know, I can't really argue with that. The Walker Kessler, like I certainly think I'd slot this game too, even though if you just look at like numbers, the Florida state game was so gaudy, right. Um and it ended the winning streak and all that stuff. So it was kind of um, just one that stuck out in my head. I probably could have found a better, you know, game to make a comparison to, honestly, but um, that didn't really become necessary. I didn't even look back to see how he played against Kentucky when they won at Rupp a couple years ago, for example. Um, Speaking of Rupp, (laughs) there is no joy that lasts. uh, I guess joy cometh in the night instead of the morning, Um, because in the morning, this staff has to start looking at a Kentucky team that's playing a lot better, like that five that they are playing right now, Eric, um, of C.J. Frederick, Oscar Sheboy, Jacob Toppin, Cason uh, Wallace, although he's injured and we'll see for how long, and Chris Livingston is has really changed things for them defensively.
1: Yeah, their offense is still it's 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 crazy cuz like their numbers this whole season have not matched the eye test for me and I would say probably most people who talk about them. Oh, I agree. Their, their offense is just like to the eye test been pretty bad all year, but they're 24th in offense. And I will I'll, I will point out that part of that is as you know, as per usual, as is tradition um, they're excellent on the offensive glass. And it's one of those situations that no matter how bad their actions are, if they just throw it at the backboard, um, they're going to have the athletes to, you know, get second or third chances and uh, maybe even get just easy putbacks. Um, but uh, yeah, they just played uh, again a game. I-, I did watch the whole game um, against Ole Miss the other night. Um, ooh, that was a tough watch. Um, we'll be interested to see what Ole Miss does, does this summer. Um, but again, that, the the, the spacing and every, like, like, I I'm just thinking about like what you said, they've got to prepare and watch film on this Kentucky team. That's going to be rough on the eyes of these poor Florida assistant coaches. Um, but again, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of, you know, pinned down kind of floppy actions, get these quote unquote shooters running off screens. And then, having Shibway and, and Jacob Toppin just opening up to the ball and, and and posting up. But uh yeah, they I as as much as I just said I didn't like their offense and said like I guess they're playing better, but like they're really in a dogfight with Ole Miss for a lot of it, though they pulled ahead. Um you did mention that this five is uh current five is 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 playing a lot better. Yeah, they're
0: not quite like – it's not so much reflected in the last 10 on Bart Torvick yet because it's kind of a newer development. It's more of like a last five type thing. But, yeah, and I agree with you. Like the eye test says that the defense is the better part of that unit in their 65th in efficiency, but they've been defending much better than that uh, in the last few games, including in their win um, at Tennessee. Uh, So they, they beat the balls in Knoxville couple weeks ago uh, they had severe Wheeler out for a little while and that ended up kind of being a blessing a little bit because case Wallace came on and it turns out uh, that he was able to, to run the team. Um, you know, I, again, they weren't really lighting anyone up offensively, but he was at least capable of doing it. He does have a deep knee contusion. He missed the old Miss game. John Calipari said it was precautionary. Uh, he could play um, Saturday against Florida uh, and I think that would be good. Severe Wheeler uh, rolled his ankle, it looks like, in the old Miss game, like re-injured his ankle a little bit. Um, so we'll see, you know, what his status is moving forward. But uh, I imagine one of those guys is going to have to play a little hobbled. Um, and it'll be, you know, if it's Severe Wheeler, it's a third straight kind of diminutive guard. And Florida was really successful against one and not so successful at all against the other one. Uh, this is the rubber match. Um, and if it's case on loss, that's a whole different task altogether.
1: Yeah. Case Wallace, a little more physicality kind of downhill driver. And then Wheeler who just is trying to shoot as little as possible, um, but is an outstanding passer. And it's, it's crazy to see just how good of a passer severe Wheeler is given how little of a threat he is to score. And also just like, the number of assists he's piling up on a team that doesn't shoot the ball well so he had nine assists against Ole Miss um and has had nine on on several occasions so far this year I forget if he's broken double figures but um yeah just a outstanding passer and again I've always been higher on severe wheeler than a lot of other people I know that I had him on my SEC team and a lot of people were like what like what did i like thought it was a ridiculous notion and i still look at a yeah. guy who can get who can get nine assists on a team that sucks offensively doesn't have shooters and that's just like I, I just value his ability to create points out of nothing and that's what he also did at georgia he played on some awful teams and is still one of the best assists producers in the country so i'm really impressed by that but um anyways it's it's it does bring for a team that again i feel that is so much just like physicality and athleticism <clears throat> if they can go to, you know, the six foot four case in Wallace, that's going to bring it a little bit. And, and again, even um, interesting to see, like uh, CJ Frederick is someone who started to start the season, started to play less minutes. Now he's back to, to starting, but like some of the biggest moments of the game against Ole Miss, he wasn't on the floor. So like, that's another guy who CJ Frederick, who was a Iowa transfer, incredible shooter um, was kind of like, you know, Cal Perry was like, oh, people said we need shooting. I better go get a really good established shooter. Got him, but he doesn't really fit a lot of what Kentucky's trying to do. So it's just kind of interesting to see that, like, they like at times it might be best for them to just put in like put in their athletes and go play physically like instead of trying to be like oh let's try to get a little bit more shooting in the lineup just double down like much like i was like hey the gators should maybe just double down on defense and put in the best defensive players and make it a low possession game i wonder sometimes if kentucky's just put all put out all their athletes and uh just kind of see what happens
0: yeah i mean their offensive system is so archaic (laughs) eric that uh it really does seem that way sometimes especially when they have the best player in the country and Oscar Shibwe underneath. And um, I did want to point this out because and I, I, I know like our listeners are probably not the guilty parties here. So I don't know if I'm necessarily preempting anything, Eric, but this notion that Shibwe got the better of Colin Castleton the last two times, is a little bit misleading. I mean, Colin played really well in both those games um, last year. He had 23 points. Uh, in the game at home, with 11 rebounds, a block, and two steals, he just wasn't quite as good as Shibway, who had 27 and 14. Right, and like you know, it doesn't mean that there was anything necessarily wrong with Colin, but when your second most efficient offensive player is Niles Lane, which is was the case for Florida in uh, the Kentucky game at home last year, that's usually problematic. Um, and shout out to Niles. I mean, he played 26 really good minutes, had a couple steals and some rebounds, and you know, seven points and <laughs> good for him. But uh, yeah, that's not, that's not the formula for Florida. So I think the Gators probably this year are a little more well-equipped to deal with what uh, Kentucky's throwing at them. And um, you know, there's not a Ty Ty Washington or Gator killer Keon Brooks around to, to murder Florida either. Oh, and, and with Shibwe and Castin, it's
1: kind of funny. Cause I just feel like, uh, like Shibwe's, uh he's just like built for taking advantage of like the taller lankier centers because he's got that lower center of gravity he's strong as an ox so like castleton is the kind of center that he's had a lot of success with and then the kind of center that con castleton has had a lot of success with are the like shorter more physical guys that he just finishes over so it's like <laughs> while, while both of them are like tremendous players they're both like the exact kind of guys that they like to play against. So it's like, yeah, they both put up outstanding lines and they kind of both get each other. Um, so uh, I could kind of maybe see that again. And again, it's also one of those things where like, I feel like someone would look at all those rebounds for shebway and say like, oh, like, you know, look at how many he muscled away from Castleton. And I don't, I don't know. I guess I'd have to watch them all, but um, yeah. I feel like that's a little bit more of like a, a team thing um which again that's that's full credit for for shibwe i just don't know if it like takes anything away from castleton's rebounding so again um these players are just suited to score on each other and uh if they can somewhat neutralize each other and you know one of the players is you know being talked about as one of the best players in the country and one of them is just talked about as an all sec guy who's really really good and i guess on watch list for all american but no one is you know i don't think I don't that's not I don't think people will not be voting Caston for you know player of the year um unless something wild happens um so if those if those two guys do kind of like cancel each other out or play each other even close I'd have to say that that's still like advantage florida
0: yeah it is one matchup that's super interesting will be the myron jones will richard however they decide to guard colesi reeves i suppose Antonio Reeves matchup and, and Antonio Reeves is a fascinating player because he's a ball dominant guard on a team that doesn't really use him as a point guard or a ball dominant guard. Um, but he's starting to adjust to his role a little better, Eric, and obviously was instrumental in their comfort behind win over Ole Miss uh, last night. Um, went six to seven from deep and he, he is coming into his own just a little bit. He, he struggled a bit to start the season. Struggled a bit to start SEC play, um, but has poured in double-digit scoring efforts in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight consecutive games. Wasn't great against Kansas, just got to 10 points in that. But in seven of the other eight, he's he started to shoot the ball a little bit more like the, the score we saw at Illinois State.
1: Yeah, like, like I said, I watched that whole game and like I shouldn't have. Um, I had other stuff I should have been doing and better <laughs> basketball to be watching. But like the sweet siren song of Kentucky running baseline runner action with no spacing, just apparently <laughs> something I couldn't resist. Um, but uh, uh, the one, the one, you know, really fun thing to watch was of course and uh, you know Reeves knocking it down and he was one player that I felt like was a lot better um navigating these screens and and kind of making reads coming off these these pin downs and again like you said he was he has been ball dominant but I thought against Ole Miss they were able to get him off the ball a little bit and 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 use him and um like you mentioned he is of course a noted score in his time before Kentucky the fit has not been ideal uh but you know he goes six for seven from from three against Ole Miss recently he went five for 11 against Texas A&M so the shooting is 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 starting to come and uh, of course for Kentucky if you say hey they're gonna have a six foot five guy um also this is another funny thing about Reeves um He's listed at six four, then six. So he's like six foot four as a sophomore, then six foot six as a junior, and now six foot five at Kentucky. So <laughs> you know, like whatever, where, where, wherever he is in that spectrum, uh, he does have. I mean, he does have good size as a two guard. You know, however you want to slice it. Uh, but yeah, he's he's the one guy that. Um, does definitely concern me kind of coming off the screens. And that was a way that again, where like severe Wheeler is so good Um, and where I do really like him. And I don't feel like people really recognize this when they're slandering my guy, severe Wheeler. Um, But for all this, like all this, like baseline runner kind of floppy guys coming off pin down actions, like you need someone who's going to deliver a pass right in the pocket. So a player can attack it full stride going downhill, or there's a very tight window of these players coming off these staggers. Um, where they can catch and shoot, and a very elite passer like Severe Wheeler can make that happen. A not so good passer like Casey Wallace c- cannot. So I do feel like the Severe Wheeler, um, Antonio Reeves connection is 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 one that was uh, good for them against Ole Miss, and uh, definitely one to watch for when they play the Gators.
0: Yeah, no, definitely going to be uh, probably one of the little X factors that that decides this basketball game. Um, again, it'll be interesting to see how they, how John Calipari divvies up minutes if, if he has Kaysan Wallace back and, you know, cause for a little while he didn't have to decide because Sammy Wheeler was out and Quezon Wallace kind of had to play. And now, you know, assuming Quezon can come back and play with, with the knee um against the Gators, they'll, they'll have some choices to make in terms of you know how much he gets on the floor. Remember Quezon played only eight minutes in the South Carolina game and, you know, Uh, When you lose to that South Carolina team that I saw last night on my 100-game journey um, at Rupp Arena, you just kind of – I mean, it's mind-boggling how that's even possible, uh, honestly. But it was. And so they've lost twice at Rupp this year. Kaysom only played eight minutes in the South Carolina game, but he's played 40 minutes in other games. So uh, John Calipari, you know, I'm sure that there's some method to his – 2022 2023 madness i don't know exactly what it is but um it always seems to look a lot better when the ball's going in
1: so s- speaking of method to the madness or uh this isn't really a that's was this not actually a very smooth transition but um, <laughs> if, if for a second that's there i thought it was that's awesome um, um Something that, you know, I think a lot of people listening that are, of course, you're probably a pretty big basketball fan for listening to this podcast. But, like, just in case you're not, uh, something that people should recognize is, like, this Kentucky team is, like, on the bubble, off, just slightly off the bubble. Like, this is a team that is not in a lot of really good bracketologists. Um, NCAA tournament fields right now and again I just think that's something that's like pretty important as we talk about Kentucky and Rap. and like there's going to be some people that have an idea of like oh this is a massive game because the Gators are playing a good Kentucky team and it's like well right now the Gators are a desperate team um, which I thought there was some good you know Jimmy Dykes kind of quotes on the broadcast tonight just about this being a a, the Gators being desperate well this Kentucky team is also very desperate and uh, so that's something to just like consider as well not that there's you you rarely see you know in college basketball anyone take anything lightly when it comes to sec play but like despite the gators maybe not being the same marquee kind of win that kentucky might be used to trying to get at home like this is all like this is like this is a this is Kentucky's like when when the Gator when we're you know talking about some of the games the Gators had last week where it's like, oh, the Gators cannot afford to drop these because their NCAA tournament resume is resume is looking shaky. Like right now, Kentucky's uh, resume is looking shaky. And while a loss to the Gators isn't devastating, um, Kentucky needs wins. So this is going to be a very hungry Kentucky team as uh, that we're in a way that we're like not really used to seeing.
0: Yeah, that's great points. I mean, they have home games coming up against a two-game homestand here with Florida and Arkansas. Those are two just nice opportunities, like quad two against Florida, quad one against Arkansas, at least for now, um, at home. And you think that they need they kind of need both those games. Um, you know, they have a resume that looks a lot like Florida's, honestly. I mean, they have um, – their signature win is the same, although theirs came in Knoxville, so it looks even shinier to the committee than Florida's does. And then they have a victory over uh, Texas A&M at home, which is a quad two win. So, you know, Florida uh, has a quad two win over a ranked Missouri team. Um, and that's kind of where it is. Florida has that quad one road win at Miss State, still a quad one win for the Gators. Uh, Kentucky, you know, they, as I said, they had their quad one road win at uh, Tennessee, which undoubtedly will remain a quad one, whereas Florida has to just hope this state wins games. Um, and uh, certainly the, the Bulldogs avoided the disastrous upset last night in Columbia for all you Gators out there. So I think that's uh, a great point that that Eric makes. This is definitely sort of a bubblicious Kentucky unit. It's hard to imagine a team that returned the national player of the year missing the NCAA tournament, but it is actually a possibility um, this season, Eric, any other, you know, kind of keys or final thoughts on Kentucky?
1: Uh, no, not really. Um, again, it just feels like for, um, it's, it's obviously great that the Gators were able to get a huge win against uh, Tennessee, but it doesn't really change um, what we kind of joked about on the last podcast, where it just seems like the storyline for the Gators entering all, no matter who the opponent is, um, we're now at the point where, we feel like the Gators are going to really defend at a very high level, no matter who they play. I don't love this tennis or sorry, this Kentucky offense, other than the fact that again, I think that Kentucky can play some, some bully ball and maybe take advantage of some of these um, matchups on the wing. If the Gators are going to play small with Richard and, and Kugel yeah. at the three and four, you know, that's concerning a little bit, but it's like, okay, are they going to Jacob Toppin post ISO their way to, points per possession probably not so it's it's still one of those situations where like hey it's awesome that the gators were so so elite defensively against tennessee they were able to win a game where they didn't score the ball super well um it's still kind of the same like the script is still probably going to be the same against kentucky i do think they made some positive strides well not strides small steps bigger than baby steps not strides Offensively, by being better out of timeouts, um, yeah, it's still a challenge for the Gators to score. And uh, but hey, maybe, maybe we'll see that this, this, uh, like again, I think you alluded to it. I think I maybe outright said it. I think that they seem better than 66th in, in like right now, they're 66th in adjusted defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. I, I think that they're better than that, yeah, per my eyes. You agree, um, but you know, still. Uh, it's, it's, it's a game where, or it's a situation where we're like, I'm not totally sure who we think that, who we think the Gators are going to be able to score on, but, uh, Hey, after going against Tennessee's number one ranked defense, it's going to look a whole lot easier. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I really have any like different points. Cause again, the storyline still feels the same. It's, um, is the Gators defense going to be really good or is it going to be elite? It was elite against Tennessee. And, uh, that's, it's that, that could be the question unless they, uh, Unless they uh, surprise us all and have a very potent offensive output.
0: Yeah, I mean, Florida's defense has traveled this year. It's not like they've gone on the road and played bad defense. So it'll travel up there, I'm sure, to Rupp Arena on Saturday night. And, um, you know, can the Gators make enough buckets to where they can steal one and get out of this four-game hellscape two and two? Um, I'm not totally writing off the Alabama game yet. I'm just saying that, like, of the two i think we can both objectively and fairly say this is the more winnable game which feels bizarre to say because it's at rup arena but it's just true y'all well i mean it's also one of those things that like um
1: you, you know it's 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 hard to classify games that it, it's hard for any system to classify games uh in, in any kind of way but like the, the quadrant one win of beating Kentucky on the road certainly seems like easier than the quadrant one situation of trying to beat Alabama. Um, so yes, I, I would, and again, it's not like those games are equal. That's one thing that I feel like some people get kind of stuck on is like, oh, a game, this game's quadrant one and this game's quadrant run one. So they have the same weight. That's not the case. Um, but uh, yeah. still the Gators are looking at getting or needing quadrant one wins and uh yeah the easier quadrant one win to get is certainly seems like uh you know Kentucky Kentucky on the road so um hey hope to have another uh, fun podcast though I guess it won't be you Neil I'm still uh still trying to decide who, I'll, I, who I who I'll ask but I will I will have a special guest of which I have not yet decided who I will ask or see who is free but I will have a special guest to hopefully talk about a, a good win while you are uh you know not uh, taking a, a well-deserved break from the podcast.
0: Yeah, no, it'll be fun. I'm sure Eric will uh, do a heck of a job. Since I won't be here, I'll go ahead and close this out. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.